0: We're continuing a series we've been calling Third Person, Getting to Know the Holy Spirit. What we've been talking about, of course, is that third co-equal member of the Trinity, but the one who often is ignored and uh, and, and often misunderstood or misconstrued. Today, we're talking about another thing that you can expect to happen from the Spirit-filled life. Some of you are brand new to the series, and so let me just very quickly recap, give you a sense of it. We started out by talking about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit and and. and really the choice between being filled with the Spirit or or filled with the spirits of this world, the Holy Spirit uh, being the optimal choice, but being filled with the spirits of this world being the default setting for we human beings. And so, we have to make the choice to be filled with the Spirit. And since then, we've been talking about the things that you can expect to happen in your life when you choose to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We talked about uh, this intimacy with God that the Holy Spirit uh, is essential to last week we talked about developing this Christ-like character being formed in us as we walk in relationship with God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And today I want to talk about how the Holy Spirit empowers our service to God and to the world, empowers our service to God and to the world. He does that in lots of different ways. He gives us a boldness we didn't have before we, we asked him to fill us. He gives us an anointing for the calling on our lives. There are lots of different ways, but mostly... And what I want to talk about primarily today is he gives us spiritual gifts that the gifts that we're going to need in order to accomplish his purposes as well as to build up the body of Christ that, <clears throat> that we are a part of. In fact, not just gift, but a mix of gifts that we then work together to accomplish the things we never could have on our own. So let's just get into it. We're going to talk about how he empowers our service, but we're, we're pinging primarily today on spiritual gifts and how they work. So here's how Paul said it to the church at Corinth. If you've got a Bible, we're going to spend a lot of our time in 1 Corinthians 12. 12 and 14 today you can go to the bridge nc app all of the the scriptures are there and the points that i'll be making uh, are there uh, you can follow along with us as well it'll be on the screens you can read along too okay so first corinthians 12 uh four through six here we go let me fix this mic so it pops so much here we go so there are different kinds of gifts but the same spirit there are different kinds of service but the same lord There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. So you get the essence of that verse just simply says the Holy Spirit works through all of us in different kinds of ways, different kinds of gifts, different kinds of service, different works that we do, but it is God working in all of us in order to accomplish the things to be done. So today, I want to give you a little better understanding perhaps, uh, maybe reinforcing for some new for others, but an understanding of what the New Testament talks about when it uses the expression spiritual gifts. Quite frankly, uh, there's a lot of confusion about spiritual gifts. I want to try to clear it up for you today. So we're going to talk a lot about about why you should have spiritual gifts because if you've asked Jesus to come into your heart, he's given you gifts. But I want to talk a little bit about what that means and more importantly, what's our response. So what does it mean to say... Uh, that we are gifted, that the Holy Spirit gives us gifts, and what is our response to that reality? Is it worth a few minutes of our time? Oh, man, we don't have another service after this. We got hours together. <laughs> I think I'm liking this one service thing. <laughs> if I wear you out, you, you, you can just slip on that, okay? <clears throat> Excuse me, let's get into it, okay? There are three primary Greek words in the New Testament that translate gifts or some variation on that word gifts. And so I want to unpack those three Greek words today and give you a little better understanding of how they operate in the process of that. And then again, primarily, what is our response to us? The first Greek word is simply the word charis. And charis translates uh, different ways in your English Bible. It sometimes translates gifts, sometimes given, favor, but always, no matter what English word is used, it's always tied to grace, that word "chorus" literally means grace. So i give you an example. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the, what, hello? The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That word gift is chorus. And so what we're saying is the only reason you're able to say Jesus is my Savior and, and, and my Lord is by the grace of God. Ain't none of us good enough to earn it? Can I get an amen in the house? You don't believe it about yourself? Just tell me that's true about your spouse. <laughs> I didn't know if you'd get that one or not, but here we go. So here's another example, Romans chapter 12, verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. That's the word chorus. And so what he's simply saying is regardless of which gifts you happen to be operating in, our responsibility or our response to spiritual gifts is humility and gratitude. That's it. It's just Lord, I am grateful that you're giving me a gift, you're giving me a gift. Are you kidding me? You're giving me a gift. And you're humbled by the fact that He has given you some gifts that can really make a difference in the world. And ultimately, you're able to do more than you ever could have in your own power because of the giftedness that He's invested in you. And so it's really important to remember: no matter what gift you operate in, it comes to you because of of God's grace. Say it with me. It comes to me because of God's grace. One more time. It comes to me because of God's grace. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You can't brag about it. Don't ever let it go to your head. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. That's charis, okay? So, every gift we talk about is charis is simply because of the grace of God, which leads us to the second Greek word. We'll spend a more time on, on number two and three. Just want to make sure you understood that first one, Okay. The second Greek word is uh, phanerosis. Phaneros, say with me. Phanerosis. Okay, say ponderosa. That all you can say. Ponderosa. Okay. Phonorosis is often translated in in the New Testament as manifestation. And manifestation simply means to shine through. So you get this picture of of a conduit and and the sun shining through that conduit. That's manifestation. That's that's to shine through. That's phonorosis. And here's an example of phonorosis, 1 Corinthians 7, uh, 12, 7. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the spirit, the phonorosis of the spirit is given for What? For the common good. So, so gifts that fit into the category of phonerosis gifts are given not for your personal edification as much as they are given for the building up of the, the body of Christ, for we who are parts of the body of Christ. In fact, he goes on to list. Uh, nine phaunerosis gifts in verses 8 through 10. I put it in chart form because we don't have time to unpack this in great detail today. And so just take a look at the chart right quick. You typically see these in three categories. You see there are knowing kinds of gifts, there are doing kinds of gifts, and there are saying kinds of gifts. And these are the, the manifestation gifts given by the Holy Spirit. And so the knowing gifts are things like a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, a word of discernment doing gifts are faith, healing, miraculous power, and saying are tongues, interpretation, prophecy. Again, go to the Bridge NC app, and you can pull all of this down, and you can do your own study in the days ahead. Then he picks up verse 11 and says, all these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he Determines. And so understand what's going on here is phonerosis gifts are gifts that are manifested by the Holy Spirit to shine through a spirit filled believer for the common good of the body of Christ. In fact, that word where it says he gives them, that word is dia, that literally means distributes. So the Holy Spirit distributes these gifts as he. Determines So anytime the Holy Spirit sees there's a need in the body of one of these gifts, he looks for a spirit-filled believer who's ready and available to be used of God, and he shines that gift through that believer for the benefit of that member of the body or that uh, that part of the body of Christ. And I know some people get kind of nervous when we start talking about manifestation gifts, but you know, it's not as ooky-dooky-spooky as you might think it is. In fact, if you've been around church very long, you've probably seen some of these in operation just in the normal parts of your lives. I mean, let's just, I don't have time to look at all nine of them, but let's look at a couple in in terms of the knowing gifts. Let's just pick discernment, for instance. Every one of you have been in a situation where you've met someone or you've been in the situation and you didn't have anything concrete to go by, but just something, I call it a check in my spirit. There was something, a little whisper in your heart that said, whoa, now you better slow down. This this might not be what it appears to be. Get your guard up. Can you do your heads like this? You've been there? Well, that's the gift of discernment. Later on, you find out, man, I sure am glad I didn't jump headlong into that. Or maybe later on, you find out, man, I should have listened to the... Spirit of God telling me to slow down because now I'm in the midst of it. Is it easier to get into a commitment or out of one? It's easier to get in than out, isn't it? Is it easier to get into a dysfunctional relationship or out of one? Is it easier to get into debt or out of debt? It's easier to get in than out, isn't it? And so the, the gift of discernment is a really critical gift in the way we do life today because not every situation is what it appears to be on the surface. And so we've all seen that kind of happen, right? How, how about uh, doing gifts? Pick one of those. It's a healing, for instance. I've prayed for, you know, I've been, I've been doing this a long time. And, uh, and so I've prayed for, oh, I don't want to exaggerate, tens of thousands of people. Kim and I were in India one time. We prayed for 15,000 people in a single Sunday morning. I mean, so tens of thousands of people that I've prayed for to be healed. And quite honestly, some of them have been healed and some of them have not. And I don't understand that. But but here but here's what I know is he divides the gift. He distributes the gift as he wills. He knows what's best. And so the fact that I've prayed for some people to be healed, the fact that some of you have prayed for some people to be healed and they were healed does not mean that you from this point forward have the gift of healing and you can decide, okay, well, I'm gonna heal you, you, not you, you, no, no, not you, 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 you. It's because it's not in your control, it's in the control of the Holy Spirit who distributes the gift. Is it making sense? And so, faunerosis gifts are resident in the Holy Spirit. We are the vessels through which those gifts shine for the common good of the body of Christ. That's what he's saying. Now, again, many of us have seen that, experienced that. We, we pray for, for our friends and family uh, to be healed. We, we operate in all that kind of stuff. There's no real nervousness when it comes to that. Let's just be honest, okay? The nervousness comes when we start talking about the saying gifts. That's when everybody starts going. And can we just be honest about why we get nervous about it? Because there've been a whole lot of abuses over the years. I grew up experiencing a lot of abuses. No way I'd ever take an unsaved friend to church with me because I didn't know what Miss Hazel was going to do today. I've seen a lot of abuses, but can I be really honest with you? That that those abuses caused me to kind of shy away from all of this for a very long time. And I abdicated what I understood the Bible to say and what honestly had experienced in my own life in a real sort of way, but I abdicated it for a very long time because of some of the abuses that I'd seen, but it had dawned on me one day, and I mentioned it earlier in this series, if there's a counterfeit, then there must be a real, and it must have value. Because you don't counterfeit fake stuff, you counterfeit real stuff. And you don't counterfeit something that has no value, you only counterfeit stuff that has value. You don't counterfeit $3 bills, because there's no such thing, and they wouldn't have any value if there was. They're not worth the jail time you'd spend if you get caught. So what do you do? You counterfeit $100 bills because they're both real and valuable. So the fact that there is a counterfeit is not a reason to say forget about it. It's a reason to say let's be sure that we're operating biblically when we operate as in these faunerosis kinds of gifts, whatever they happen to be. Is this making sense? In fact, the good news is that Paul recognized the potential problems with this. So he dedicated a whole chapter, uh, chapter 14, to helping us to understand how to operate within these gifts in in an appropriate biblical kind of way. And again, I don't have time in this session to unpack the entire chapter, but I did pull three principles out that I think might be worth our attention for a second. Principle number one from 1 Corinthians 14 is speaking in tongues can be confusing. Can I get an amen in the room? It's true. They can be. They can be confusing. That's what Paul said, 1 Corinthians 14, 6 and 8. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will it be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? If the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? In other words, if I haven't given you information that you understand, therefore you can use, you're going to walk away going, what did he just say? What did she say? And it creates more confusion than assistance. Now hear me, Paul did not say don't speak with tongues. In fact, he said, I probably speak in tongues more than all of you. What he did say is make sure that when you do that you operate in a biblical way. He's saying if somebody speaks in tongues to the body without it being interpreted in the language that is predominant to that group, then it doesn't help. In fact, it confuses. It's like a trumpet. The illustration he uses, it's like a trumpet. In the days before the high-tech communication, when uh, a, a, an army would go to war, they had a bugle or a trumpet, and one sound meant charge and the other sound meant retreat. Well, if you play the wrong sound or if you, a confusing sound, the soldiers kind of go, uh, well, do we charge or do we retreat? It has to be clear, understandable, or it's going to be confusing. But then Paul says, principle number two, is that speaking in tongues can be a sign to unbelievers, if it's done biblically, of course. Otherwise, it can be a repellent. I think I mentioned I would never take an unsaved person to church with me growing up because I knew there were so many abuses going on at church. So he says in 1 Corinthians fourteen twenty two and 3, so then tongues are for a sign not to those who believe but to unbelievers. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men and, uh, or unbelievers enter, will they not say you're mad? They walk in and go, these people are crazy. What is this all about? Which is exactly what happened. In Acts chapter 2, when the early church came together, they spent 10 days in prayer, and they're seeking God about this mission that he's given them to go into all the world and make disciples of everybody everywhere and baptize them and teach them, and I'll go with you. And so they're praying that the Holy Spirit would come, because he said, when the Holy Spirit comes, you'll have the power to do what I told you to do. And then they finally come into one mind and one accord, and they begin to speak in other tongues and the city that had gathered from all over the known world for the Feast of Pentecost, they began to hear their own language from people who didn't know their language because they were from a different part of the world and they weren't educated. They go, what is this? Rock the town. Verse 12 of Acts 2 says, amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, "What, what, what does this mean? That's the atmosphere. That's the context When Peter walked out and preached a simple gospel message that concluded with the statement, you are complicit in the murder of Jesus Christ, you need to repent for that. And they did. 3,000 were saved that day and were water baptized. But verse 13 goes on to say, some, however, made fun of them and said, yeah, they've had too much wine. Can I tell you just honestly that even if you operate biblically, there's going to be some people who won't understand what you're doing. They're just not going to get it. These people didn't, but there's a whole lot of people that did. Paul said when you operate biblically, it becomes a sign to unbelievers and they're attracted. They're drawn to the power of God. The third principle then is in order for a public expression of tongues, To be biblical, in order for it to be for the common good, it has to be interpreted. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 27, 28. If anyone speaks in a tongue, but there's no interpreter, what does it say? What does it say? He must keep silent in the church. I told you that I I grew up and saw a lot of abusive tongues, and it scared me for a very long time, uh, to the point that I kind of backed away from an understanding. So let me let me tell you a positive experience that Kim and I had uh, many years ago. Most of you know we were missionaries to the Philippines through the 80s. <laughs> what you may not know is that we were kids when we went. I mean, I was 20 eight. Kim was 24. We had two little kids, you know, two and four-year-old, and God called us to the other side of the planet, so we went. We never spent any time outside the country. I mean, it's stupid when you think back on it now, but just God called, so we went. And so we got there, flew in on a Saturday, uh, 24 hours in the air, just an exhausting kind of environment. We got there. We are overwhelmed. Our first time in the third world, and, and Yvonne and Willard Wagner, some of you know the Wagners. We sponsored them as missionaries for many, many, many years. they and retired, they took us into their home. They were in Manila at the time. They took us into their home. And so we went to bed utterly exhausted, trying to get some rest. And nothing would do that we got up uh, Sunday morning and went to church. And we're saying, you know, we're really kind of tired. I don't think God would mind if we skip one Sunday. And Willard and Yvonne especially said, no, 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 you got to go. We're going. And so there was a church that was primarily English-speaking, Filipino church, but English-speaking had an American pastor. We came into the room. It was a larger room than this. I would guess 1,500 people or so in the room, and they were worshiping much the way we did today in an 80s kind of contemporary way. And, uh, and it was just a wonderful kind of season of song and worship and song. And, but when they finished... The pastor, Pastor Clark, was his name. He came walking out on stage to begin the message time and everybody was, sat down and a hush fell over the place. I mean, just a silence fell over the place that nobody called for. And, uh, and a guy over on the far side We're sitting in the back. Guy over on the far side stood up and began to speak in a loud voice that I didn't understand. Uh, I assumed it to be a Filipino language because we just got there. We didn't know anything. Uh, But we knew, you know, this is something's going on here. Pastor Clark walked to the podium and he said, uh, when it finished, he said, okay, we've heard an uncertain sound and we don't know whether to charge or retreat. So we're going to pray for the interpretation. And if it comes, we'll receive it. And if it doesn't, 1 Corinthians 14 says, let the speaker remain silent in the church. He prayed a simple prayer. Lord, if you're speaking to us, please speak in the language that is predominant to this room. On the other side, I mean, slam across the auditorium, a lady stood up and she said, this is emotional 30 years later. You're halfway around the world from home and you think you left me behind, but I came before you and prepared the way and if you'll be faithful with me, you will rule with me. And we turned to mush. <laughs> and Yvonne Wagner said, that's for you, that's for you, that's for you. You think? <laughs> so, you know, there's, there, some people have an argument and some people have an experience. Hear me, guys. When it's the real deal, it's the real deal. Are there counterfeits? Yes. Do I hate counterfeits? I've heard people say, give me fire. I don't care if it's wildfire. No, don't give me no wildfire. Wildfire destroys. But the power of God operated biblically is one of the most amazing experiences you will ever have in your life. So, what's our response to phonorosis gifts, whichever one they happen to be? What's our response? It's to stay ready and prayed up and be available. That's it. Be ready. Again, we don't have detail, time to get into a lot of detail about how this operates, but I, I need you to hear me say, as your pastor, this is real stuff, guys. It might be unnerving to you, but I've said it every uh, week during this series. Please don't be so spiritually timid as to reject something you heard me say because you haven't heard it taught before, but don't be so intellectually lazy that you just accept it because I said it either. Go to the book and let the book be the final authority in your life. Read 1 Corinthians 12 13, 14. Spend some time in those chapters and see. What the word of God says. Paul then concludes chapter 12 by saying, We're not all going to operate in all of these gifts, but every believer should desire the best gifts. Look at what he said, 1 Corinthians 12 29 through 31. Not all are apostles, not all are prophets, not all are teachers, not all do miracles, not all have gifts of healing. Not all speak with different languages. Not all interpret those languages. But you should truly want to have the greater gifts. That word gifts in verse 31 is charis. So he's gone back to charis by saying whatever gift you're operating in, it's by the grace of God. The question, of course, is what's the greater gift? And the text doesn't tell us. We don't know. I believe the greater gift is whatever gifts you need to fulfill whatever God put you on this planet to do. Whatever that is. And you should desire. He said covet. Desire deeply for those spiritual gifts to work in your life. The third Greek word then is didomai. Come on, try it with me. Didomai. The lovely thing about Greek is that I'm not pronouncing it right either, but you don't know. So if you say it real fast, then everybody thinks you got it right. I used to have a guy from Greece in our congregation who would come to me after church and say, yep, you murdered another one, pastor. <laughs> Love the teaching, but you murdered the word. And he would te- he'd tell me how to say it. And nah, my tongue wouldn't do it. But did him, as close as I can get, okay? Now, this one carries the idea of a gift that's given. It's given in order to fulfill God's call on your life. It might be for a season. It might be for life. But that gift has been given to you for a specific purpose and reason, and then you therefore become responsible for what you do with the gift that you've been given. Let's look at a couple of passages of Didymai. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, it was he who gave, that's Didymai some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for the works of service. Of course, those are all leadership gifts that God has given to certain people. And our primary responsibility as leaders in the kingdom of God is to do what? To prepare you for the works of service that he made you for. That's our primary job. Now, I'm a Christian. My job is to serve too. But as a leader, my job is to help you fulfill whatever it is that God put you on the planet to do, to prepare God's people for works of service. But this is not just for, uh, for, for leaders. I mean, for me, I identified very young uh, that God had given me the gift of pastor and teacher. And so, it has defined my life. I mean, from that day to this, every decision I've made made, ha, have made has been through the filter of, the, these are the gifts that God's given me, and I'm therefore responsible to him when I asked him to marry me, the filter was okay. Am I willing to be a pastor's wife? Because that's the gift that God's given Jim to be a pastor. And so what gifts has he given her? And I'm so thankful that she said yes, almost 50, ,46 years ago. But nevertheless, you hear what I'm saying, that becomes the filter. But it's not just for leaders. Look at Romans 12, 13, uh, 12, 3, 5, 6, and 8. For the grace given me, stop right there. That word grace in the Greek is "charis." The word given is the word didomai. So now he's talking about grace gifts, gifts that are then resident in your life that you're responsible for. For the, by the grace given me, I say to who? Every one of you. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance to your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraged, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Did did of my gifts are also tied to chorus like everything else. But our responsibility goes beyond just staying humble and grateful our responsibility goes beyond just being available for the Holy Spirit to use when the body needs that gift. Our response is a lot more sophisticated. In fact, I see three responses. It'll take just a couple of minutes to unpack that for you and we're going to bring this to a close. First response to did my gifts is I've got to discover what my gifts are. I am responsible before God to discover the gifts that he has given me because one day I'm going to give an account to him for what I did with those gifts. In order for the body of Christ to function at full capacity, everybody who's part of the body of Christ is needed. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, all of you together are the one body of Christ. What does the word all mean when you see it in the Bible? It means all. It don't mean all of them. It means all of us us. He's talking about us, okay? All of you together are the one body of Christ. And what does it say? Each one of you is a separate and necessary part of it. So, he's saying all of us are in this together. Each one of us is in this together. And every one of us separately because we are uniquely in relationship with God. But together we are all necessary for the body to function uh, properly. There's lots of ways in the Bible that this gets illustrated. Paul loves to talk about the parts of the body, eyes and ears and toes and nose and all that. Uh, my, one of my favorite illustrations of this is the family of seven at the dinner table and uh, and somebody spills their glass of tea. So get that picture in your mind, seven sitting around the table uh, and, and somebody spills their glass of tea on the floor. Let's see how the gifts operate, okay? The gift of mercy says oh, I'm so sorry, I feel so bad for you, right? The gift of service says, oh, well, let me me help you clean that up, right? The, The gift of teaching says, well, you know, the reason the glass fell was that it was placed too close to the edge of the table. In the future, if you'll make sure that your glass is a little further from the table, then you shouldn't have a problem. That's the gift of teaching at work. The gift of encouragement says, oh, that's okay, don't feel bad. It could have happened to any of us, right? The gift of giving. Here, you can have my glass of tea. All right? Gift of leadership. Okay, guys, let's all work together to get this thing cleaned up so we can get back to dinner. Gift of administration. Okay. You heard the man. Joe, you get a mop. Sally, you get a paper Mary. You pick up the pieces of glass. John, you go get your sister another glass of tea. Let's get back to it. Okay? And so, that all of those gifts are operating. So, which one of those gifts is most important? None of them. They're all critical to the health of that situation. All of them were vital for that family to enjoy dinner together. So so it becomes critically important that if you're part of the body of Christ and you are as soon as you accept Christ as your Savior, that you start to discover what are my, my gifts? What are the gifts that God's given me in order to fill my place, find my niche, In the body of Christ and there are lots of ways to do that discovery process one of them is to go to the survey that's on our website I think we got the link here it's on the bridge NC app you can go to our website and just go to that link and just answer some basic questions and it'll give you an indicator of what some of your gifts are we're gonna leave that up for a minute if you want to write it down you can do that or again you can go to the bridge NC app or to our website and get that and it's really helpful to discover what perhaps your did gifts are I said perhaps because quite frankly, surveys and tests are standardized and ain't none of us standardized. going to get an amen? We were all handmade, right? So the survey may be a good indicator for you, but that's all it is, is just kind of a general indicator. I remember the first time I took a spiritual gifts test just a few years ago and the gift of pastor didn't even show up and I panicked. <laughs> remember, this is standardized and you are not. It's okay, you'll be all right. So there's three more things that you can do to discover your gifts. One is examine your life. Okay, what what have I done in the past that produced joy? What are some things that I've done in the past that, that actually worked out? Hear me, guys. God's will for your life is not a bummer. When you do something that God's gifted you to do and you see the results of it, it produces joy. So ask yourself the question, what produces joy when I get out there and do it? It's a good indicator that you might be gifted in that area. Second is to experiment. Try some things. we got a thing around here called test drive, and you just stop by the test drive table on those appropriate Sundays, and, and they'll hook you up. They'll put you in the guest services team or, or whatever team, and the media team, and you can start trying it out, see if it works. And eventually you may try half dozen things before you find the one that fits, but, but you get into test drive and you start experimenting with things until you find the fit that works for you. You, the literally hundreds of ways you can serve around the bridge, Princeton. The other way that's just as critical as the others is listen to the body of Christ. Because if you're gifted by the Holy Spirit to do something, it'll show. And the other parts of the body of Christ that are blessed by the way you've used your gifts will tell you that just before service. I don't know where she is now, but a precious lady came up to me just before we were starting the service. She walked up and just and and just gave me a word of encouragement, Uh, of you know the blessing that I've been to her as a teacher. And anybody think I'm ready to teach now? (laughs) I'm ready to go now. Because there's that sense of affirmation that comes from the body of Christ. If if you know, if you think your gift is music and nobody's ever said, man, you can sing, you might not want to try that one. You might want to try something else. <laughs> sing to you top of your lungs, we're just not going to give you a microphone. That's all, okay? So, but whatever means, uh, our only appropriate response to my gifts is to figure out what they are and then finally begin to develop them. Just because you're gifted doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be good at it in the beginning, right? (laughs) My, My first sermon I went to my pastor and said, you know, I think I might be called to preach. How do you know? And we talked for oh, two or three hours. And at the end of the conversation, he said, well, there's one way to find out. Preach for me Sunday. And I said, mm-hmm. you know, I was 18 at the time. I said, nah, can you give me a minute? And uh, so we, we made a plan. He gave me three weeks to prepare. And man, I, I actually wrote four sermons because I wanted to be sure I was in the spirit and I was hearing from God. I want to have the right sermon for the atmosphere that day. So I had four sermons. I practiced those things in the mirror. I went to a stump in the woods and stood on the stump and practiced all four of those. It came that Sunday morning, buddy, and, I, and I'm ready and I'm figuring out, okay, which one of these four am I gonna do? And I settled on one of them and I got up and I preached it and uh, and when I finished it, I went into the second one and when I finished it, I went into the third one. I wound up preaching all four sermons that morning. Uh, it took me nine minutes to do all four. And, uh, and Miss Macy Carlisle, who was the, the widow of the founder of our church, met me at the back door and said, You're going to make a fine preacher someday. (laughs) Oh, thank you, ma'am. Which set me on a journey to, okay, what do I need to do to develop this gift? To learn what I can, find a mentor, uh, get some role models, make sure that I'm developing this gift. That's what Paul told... Timothy and 2 Timothy 1 6, keep using the gift God gave you. Let it grow as a small flame grows into a fire. Learn all you can about that gift. Find a mentor, find a role model. But the best way, really, ultimately, to develop them is the third response, and that is deploy your gifts. You discover them, you develop them, and you deploy them. 1 Corinthians 4 2, it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. That's, that's what we're talking about when we say the Holy Spirit's given you a spiritual gift. He's entrusted a gift to you, and He expects you to be faithful with that gift. Whether it's the overarching term, "chorus gifts, He expects you not to let it go to your head. Start thinking, I'm specialer than others because my gift stands out more than others. Hey, everybody look at me. I'm gifted in this area or that area. Don't ever let that happen because it's by the grace of God you have whatever gift you have. Beyond that, Holy Spirit, I, I'm available to you. And if you you want to bless the body of Christ through me, I, I'm your vessel. Here I am. And I'll do whatever I can. I'll just be available for you to do it. And if it's a, it's a gift you've given me that I'm responsible for, I'll start using it. (laughs) I may stumble at first. I may not get it right very well. I may may actually be embarrassed by some of the things that I I did. Understand I'm describing my own journey now. (laughs) But I'm going to use it to the best of my ability in a way that honors the fact that you gave me this gift and in a way that blesses the body of Christ of which I am a part. I got to close, but here's what I want you to hear me say. Romans makes it clear that one day every one of us will give an account to God. There are actually two questions as I understand it in that great audit on the edge of eternity. Question number one is what did you do about my son Jesus Christ? Did you put your faith, your trust in your abilities and your works, or did you put your faith and trust in what Jesus did for you on Calvary? Understand the answer to that question determines whether you get into the Father's heaven or not. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Question number one is huge and if. If you're not absolutely sure, whether you're in this room or you're watching online, if you're not absolutely sure that you've settled that one, do not, do not go another minute without settling that one just by calling out to him and saying, Jesus, thank you for grace. Forgive me for trying to do this in my own power, for trying to make a life in my own abilities. Help me to embrace your grace and your love live a life that honors you. The second question then in that edge of eternity audit is, what did you do with the gifts that I gave you? Okay, we've settled that you're coming in because what Jesus did and you put your trust in him, now we need to settle is, what did you do with the gifts that I gave you? Matthew 25 makes it really, really clear. He expects a return on his investment. So you discover those gifts. You develop those gifts. You deploy those gifts. Then you're able to say, well, you know, Father, I got it right sometimes. I get it wrong sometimes. But here's what I did with the gifts that you gave me. And I want more than anything I can ever say to you, I want to hear those words. Well done, good and faithful steward, servant, somebody who's been given a trust well done. Enter into the joys that have been prepared for you. I want it for you too. So if we press a little bit for you to find a serve team around here, you'll forgive us, I hope. If we press a little bit for you to settle that thing with, in terms of a relationship with Jesus or not, if we get a little hard sell every now and then, I hope you'll forgive us. Just know that it comes from our heart of love for you and our desire that you pass the test. You see, God gave us the test questions in advance because He wants us to pass too. So, what is this spirit filled life about? It's about an intimacy with the God who made us. It's about developing Christ-like spirit, gifts, character, and, and the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And yes, it's about serving beyond our capacity because of gifts that he's given us. Next week, we're going to talk about that bottom line of controlled by the spirits of this world versus controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. And we're gonna come together and we're gonna ask the Lord to fill us with his Holy Spirit. I hope you'll plan to be in that service. If you're online, be sure to be here, be ready. I'm expecting a powerful time together as we come together on that simple prayer. For now, would you join me in a prayer on today's topic? Father, thank you. Thank you for loving each one of us individually, Personally, for knowing every detail of our lives, loving us enough to extend your grace to us, even though we don't deserve it. Thank you, Jesus, for grace. And thank you that we can prepare for that great audit when we stand before you on the final day and we can know whether we're ready to pass or not. We can make decisions today to prepare us for it. My commitment to you, Lord, is I'll do everything I know to do to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Can you pray that prayer? Every head's bowed, eyes are closed, nobody's looking around. I'm not going to keep you, but another minute. But can you pray that prayer? My commitment to you, Lord. You can do it in your own words if you like. Do it out loud. silently. I don't care. But My commitment to you, Lord, is I'll do everything I know to do to prepare for that audit. I accept you, Jesus, as my Savior and Lord. I accept your forgiveness, your fresh start. And I will let it define my choices going forward. And I thank you for the gifts that you have and are giving me. I will do my best to be humble and grateful for them. I'll do my best to be ready and available to be used. I'll do my best to discover, develop, and deploy the gifts you've given me. In Jesus' name. Father, you know who's praying. You know exactly what's going on in every heart. Give us the assurance that you've heard our prayer. We're going to thank you for the way you do that in Jesus' name.